It's Tuesday, January the 16th, 2024. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We'll begin with our scripture of the week, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, and a piece by me entitled, Getting Pulled from the Game Early. Then, Pastor Emily Larson and I will talk scripture, and more specifically, how calling really happens for real people. But first, a reading from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had grown dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide something from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. If anyone gets paid the big bucks... It's starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. Starters constitute seven of the top ten best-paid baseball players in the league. They get the nod as the only baseball players to rank in the top 50 best-paid athletes in the world. Particularly special starting pitcher just got signed with a nearly three-quarters of a billion dollar contract. The sporting world values these guys on the level of top basketball stars, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, people who play alongside Taylor Swift's boyfriend, Formula One champions, and global soccer sensations. 
that feels pretty good for a job where you spend more of your working hours resting and watching baseball rather than throwing a ball. Your average starter only does the key part of their job roughly once a week for five to six innings, less than two hours in the pitch clock era, from April to October. I understand that they spend a lot more time than that training, researching, and rehabbing. Still, the 270 baseball players to grace the walls of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, 77, or over a quarter, are starting pitchers who spent most of their season not playing baseball. The value comes from the rarity of the skill and the level of pressure that they endure. On the defensive side of the game, the whole rest of the team exists to deal with the starters' failures. Fielders work to contain the balls that do get hit. Relief pitchers only come on when the starter exhausts himself or doesn't have it that day. The core action of the game, and thus the team's primary shot at victory, gets borne by the right or left arm of one man per team per game. Many starting pitchers have elaborate pregame routines for this reason. Justin Verlander, the Astros ace, says that no one should talk to him in the lead-up to a start because he is not fit human company. He has to psych himself up to deal with the tremendous pressure. I, I love to watch when it all goes well, but to me, one of the most affecting things in all of sports is watching a starter get pulled when it's all gone wrong. Their raison d'etre is to carry the game, but when they give up a ton of runs early, can't hit their marks, chuck a bunch of balls beyond the catcher's reach, and you watch the manager make the slow walk to the mound signaling their doom, you see a human being melt. Some try to remain stoic. Others lash out with anger. So others just dissolve into a malaise of sadness, regret, and self-loathing. A few hundred times a year, we witness a particular kind of human suffering broadcast into our homes, knowing that you're supposed to be the guy, knowing that you failed to be the guy, and having the person that appointed you to be the guy rescind their trust. Biblical prophets carry far higher importance than starting pitchers, they hold the job of God's voice box. Humanity needs that significantly more than they need $100 million a year ball slingers. However, their whole concept for existing also centers on being the guy, God's guy, on having a singular trust placed on them by God. Usually, we focus on Samuel in the story from 1 Samuel 3. Young man hears from God, feels confused by it, and ultimately responds, here I am. We rightly use it to talk about accepting our callings, to stand ready in our souls to say, here I am. We sing beautiful hymns uh, to put the words in our own mouths. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord. If you lead me, I will hold your people in my heart. From Here I Am, Lord by Dan Shute. This scene has a darker edge, if we remember Eli in all of this. He too had been called. He too had said, here I am, at some point earlier in his life. God called him to be the guy, the prophet, the carrier of the mantle. 
Yet God explicitly tells Samuel in his first divine message that God's pulling Eli from the game early because he just doesn't have it. As it says in 1 Samuel 3, verses 12 through 14, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of the house of Eli shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. The call has gone out to the bullpen. Eli blew the start. In this case, he proved insufficiently faithful and willing to let his sons run wild. The divine human relationship ended up in disarray because the mediator of that relationship, the prophet Eli, proved insufficient to the task. Eli picks the stoic resignation approach to getting pulled from the game, as it says in verses 16 through 18. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what, what seems good to him. It is two distinct levels of significance. But watching a starting pitcher get pulled from a blown start gives us an emotional window into Eli. The manager has come to the mound, taken the ball from his hand, sent into the dugout, and motioned for the next pitcher to make his march in to the outfield. God does this explicitly because Eli failed. The scene serves as a potent reminder that calling cuts two ways. We want that moment where we sense that God has called us to an important task, that God values us and our skill set. With that glorious moment of calling comes an expectation of faithfulness. To have the ball placed in our hands means seeking to do that task to the best of our abilities. God's grace means that God will always love us and always welcome us into God's family if we succeed or not. However, we do not live in an expectations-free universe. God has a task for all of us. God equips us for that task. God expects us to take that task and run with it. In the book of Esther, Mordecai puts it succinctly to his young niece, strategically placed by God in the palace, within easy reach of the king's ear, as it says in Esther 4.14. For if you keep silent at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. God will accomplish what God needs to accomplish. We can strive to be a part of it. So as you just heard in the piece, I... Okay, so... Everyone's, it is a trope in preaching um, that you use like sports stories. And I try not to do too much of that because I understand. And, and I, you know, I had, a, I had a preacher growing up, Jack Shelton, um, who loved golf. God, he loved golf. Um, and he told so many golf stories that it just became this like huge, annoying, like the whole congregation was annoyed. Um, at the level of golf stories, 
Um, there was another pastor at my home church more recently um, who, who was a Baylor football player. And so like every story was a Baylor football story. And so I try not to do that. But every once in a while, sports is a part of human life, and base, clearly baseball is a part of my life. And so every once in a while, a sports story creeps in there. And this one, just as I am, and maybe this is, you know, I watched a lot of baseball in 2023, but as I'm reading the story of Samuel and Eli, and trying to think, okay, how do we just not have this be another unrelatable story about Samuel? We'll get to that in a second. All I could think of was, this is the starting pitcher getting pulled. And so then I spend, I don't know, whatever, the first 600 words of the piece trying to make this, like, this weird misfiring of my own brain comprehensible to other humans of why you too should think that this is like, uh, this is like the starting pitcher getting pulled. Yes, it, so, is, it is interesting. Yeah. And and for people who are not into sports, this, I mean, Samuel getting called is, uh, it's hard to think of another analogy that that isn't specifically ministry, that isn't right. specifically sports. You're right. Well, this is the piece that I, in the sermon, which, you know, at least right now the way we do it, is the, the piece that intros the show is slightly, takes a slightly different focus from the sermon, because theoretically, you know, members of the congregation are hearing both things. And so, you you know, you try to add some variance. And I opened the sermon with calls, ministry call stories are wildly unrelatable. They are wildly <laughs> unrelatable. And it, it turns every, like, watching, and I've done this too, I, I am equally guilty of this, of this, the story of the call of Samuel turns every preacher into Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. I've got the answer. I've got the answer. I've got the answer. This hat, like, because what you want to do is you want to get to the place where you say, this happened to me. And cool. But what, ha, what does the congregation who, who aren't preachers, right. like, who relate that might to not that? Have happened to, right, because not everyone hears an audible voice from God on the daily. There are people for whom that is their yeah, normal. Yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. But for the majority of the world, I would say that is probably not their normal. And so how do you relate? How do you look at the story of Samuel and how do you look at how you connect to God and make some sort of connection there? Absolutely. Right. Because this is... Let's let, let's make no bones about it. This is the story of starting pitchers. This is the story of superheroes, right? In the same way that, like, I played baseball, I was never going to know what it is to be a major league pitcher paid a hundred, you know, paid $40, $50 million a year to throw a baseball, fundamentally fail at that and get pulled from a game, right? I have no, like, I, I will have no concept of that. This is that on steroids, right? This is a superhero story. This is a call story with such potency that 2,800 years later, we're still talking about the nature that it happened. And so this is not, like the nature of this call story is not a representative sample for anybody and is not, and should not just be our opportunity as preachers to then say, I know the right, I, this happened to me and it will happen to you too. Right. Not necessarily. Right. It is, it is even 
from a preacher standpoint, it's almost yeah. unrelatable because it, it doesn't happen to every preacher like this either. It did not happen to me like this, right? Um, but it does happen to some people like this. It happened to Samuel like this. Um, but for many preachers, when you start to hear call stories over and over and over again, because over and over again. you do over yeah. and over and over again, when you are in clergy circles, it's what you do, right? Um, or when you're having to go through the ordination process, maybe, maybe it's just that I'm in that particular part of my life where I've had to iterate my call story so many times to so many people and so many committees and so many places and so many interviews, um, that you, it does start to become rote. Um, but it is not something that is common in every day and so we should perhaps not treat it as such well it is it sets up a congregation same way it feels like it sets like remember your congregation up for failure because when and you know and i experienced this with a lot of other faith aspects of faith life this just happened to be the part of only part of faith life i get right the only part of faith life that happened to me the way it's supposed to um is something like a call story and so the you know so much of the faith life i'm like yeah i'm also in the people that don't get it the in this like this rare box um is the place where i can connect go or like maybe the thing happened to me the way it was supposed the quote-unquote the way it was supposed to supposed to do that way the, the, the the way I, I have, I, you know, my own call story functions like this story, right? I was, you know, late to a worship service, um, sitting in the way back, not, you know, not particularly close to God, not particularly expecting anything. And then, you know, I get this overwhelming sense that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. You can tell I've told the story enough that I've got it down to like four sentences. Um, right. And so I can like, I personally, on a, on a personal level, can read the call of Samuel and go, yeah, no, the, I, I resonate with Samuel's experience here. I'm, I'm not, you know, he's singularly important. I am not, but like how his call and how my call happen is in the same genre of literature. Mm-hmm. But we set a lot of people up for failure. The vast majority of people up for failure. When we go to me, when we go, and again, I have given this sermon, but the longer I think about it, the more I go, we are not, helping our folks by saying the thing that doesn't help our folks is saying this happened to Samuel this way this happened to me more or less this way therefore wait around and it'll happen to you this way that's the thing that sets people up for failure you'll find your vocation you'll find your calling in life you'll find your purpose in life if you just wait for God to speak in an audible voice to you and you'll be really certain that that's the thing and I think for most human beings it is like the data points are way more spread out mm-hmm. and everyone does have a vocation and that's a place where you can talk about this. Everyone is called by God to do something or some things and that is a place to talk about this. This is a place to talk about faithfulness to your calling, right? This is the con this is, you know, why the starting picture bit, right? The contrast between Samuel and Eli is Eli had a calling too. It's not that Eli wasn't called to be prophet, it's that Eli didn't rise to the occasion. So there's a conversation about faithfulness. But to me, there's not a con- conversation about the mechanism of calling, because how many people who are deeply faithful Christian accountants felt their calling to be an accountant, which is, which is, we need, again, we, we need, need them in the world, right? We, we need, need them in the world. Every, the, the body needs all the parts, right? Um, 
And it's true. And I wonder if there's a difference between previous generations and these upcoming generations and, and our generation. Um, you know, people used to stay in their line of work for 60 yeah. years because it's what they did. And then you retired from it. And now people don't do that anymore. And I wonder if that has something to do with we have recognized that that the data points are more scattered, that we are trying to search for in a wider variety of ways, that we have recognized that there are different callings and different vocations in the world that we can rise to the occasion and still serve God in. Um, but maybe that it's not so cut and dry, not so black and white, not such a specific audible voice from God, um, but that we try many different things nowadays until we land in one that feels right, until we land in one where we feel called, right? I think I think some of it is also in kind of that generational shift towards vocation, not work, yes. right? That, you know, in the end, you're going to spend the majority of your life, this is maybe a strange statement on the nature of modern life, but you're going to spend the majority of your time working. The, right. the the number one thing that's going to define, you know, how you pass your time in this plane of existence is either in preparation for your working life, a.k.a. school, or living your working life. And then if you are, you know, blessed with health and to avoid dementia for long enough and whatever, you might get a short space after your working life. But the, you know... um the the middle 50 years of your life give or take is going to be spent working and so that should probably either be a vocation or I'll enable you to live your vocation right could be a means then, to an end to live your vocation out right that like the thing I do for money is not my vocation. My vocation is this other thing. But the thing I do for money, I am good enough at that I make enough money that I can do why, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, I, you know I'm going to make th these people exist, but I'm going to make it up. You know, my vocation, you know, this person, this made up person, my vocation is not to be a plastic surgeon to rich people. But being a plastic surgeon to rich people now enables me to be rich enough to then travel to poor countries and do facial reconstruction surgeries for people who can't afford it. Right. Like that is, you know, perhaps injecting rich people with silicon. It's not your true vocation. It's not the thing that lights your soul on fire. Uh, but there is real money in it. And there's good, you know, I, I joke, but, you know, plastic surgeons also spend a lot of time rebuilding burn victims' faces um, and, you know, fixing yeah. fixing the kid that took a header off of, you know, again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. mean to pick on plastic surgeons, but you know what I mean, right? Like you do... Perhaps your skill set is both lucrative and needed, and you can do the lucrative side of it, so then you can go to the place where you're needed with it. Mm, or absolutely. whatever, right? But I think so, so I think some of it is that there certainly I saw, you know, I feel this in our own generation of like a recognition that, you know, f in millennial culture, fulfillment really matters. And that's yes. a secular way of talking about vocation, but that your work should be fulfilling. And, you know, a lot of the generational discourse around us is like, ah, these millennials, they don't do the da 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 They want their job to be fulfilling. I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to spend 50 years of my life doing a thing uh, and, you know, 
for a I've watched retirement not work out for a lot of folks. It's not that you shouldn't save for retirement, but you probably shouldn't save all of your living for retirement because it's not a guarantee that any of us get that, you know, mm-hmm. you can health just doesn't work. Even if you take relatively good care of yourself, health just doesn't work out like that always, right? That you, right. Hey, I think of my, my, my mentor pastor, uh, Jim Foster, who did not necessarily take care of himself, but like he retired from being a pastor and died a year later of like just really aggressive cancer, right? So like if I, you know, we've known a lot of our colleagues um, as mm-hmm. pastors who, you know, there's this really scary like retire and then die, <laughs> like, uh, right. Or retire and then don't actually retire because you go back to work and you get, you know, put in another pulpit or you do, you know, you never actually retire. It's as, a phrase as, that has been at, thrown around. As Scott, as Scott Jones would, you know, Scott, you know, I'm surprised he didn't open the memorial service that way. But he, he instead he would just open the retirement service though. Yeah, you know, what he should have done is, you know, open the memorial service. Well, they finally retired. But, you know, this was right. Scott Jones. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that this is a healthy culture, but it is the cult, was our culture for many years of Scott right, Jones. You never our, actually retire. Yeah. Our former bishop uh, would say, um, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> like this was funny. You know, you, do, you know, you don't actually retire. And I'm like, Jesus, Scott, give them a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I can't speak to that. So I, I currently uh, worship in on worshiping on Sunday mornings. I currently worship with several retired pastors who restarted a church in Amarillo. And so that I listened to a retired pastor this past Sunday. Um, so yeah, it, it is a reality in our line of work that you, you continue to fill the pulpit even after you retire, quote unquote. But all of this gets to the, like, to think that at the core of the scripture is a sense that like, Samuel has a very specific vocation, and this is how God approaches him about this very specific vocation. And his vocation is to be the voice box of God, and so he should probably hear audibly from God. But this is not, again, I think real life, not that this isn't real life, but like real life for most people is a much more scattershot putting the pieces together approach rather than I heard this audible voice from God and away we go and I'm going to be the best accountant ever. That may happen. Anything's possible. Right. And even for preachers, right, where it is this kind of closer to being a biblical prophet than it is to being an accountant, not always, uh, but you know, sure, then God is going to interact with us perhaps in a different way than other vocations. And that's not even a ranking of vocations. It's just, you know, different strokes for different folks. So that it is instead recognizing, A, God really does have a purpose for all of us. And you see Samuel receiving a purpose, and you see Eli being told, you failed at your purpose. Mm-hmm. That Eli had a job to do. And so you talk about in the piece, like this scripture has a dark edge to it where mm-hmm. Eli didn't do it. And if you read the first couple chapters before, you know, this is chapter three. So there's two chapters before this. One of those chapters is setting up like Hannah drops off uh, <laughs> you know, Samuel at the, at the prophecy tent. 
the other part of it is, yo, Eli did not do the thing. And, right. and, and, and I didn't hit on this in the piece, but it is important to recognize that, like, the text weaves in that there seem to be consequences for the people because Eli didn't do the thing, right? You get the, like, prophecy is rare in those days. People don't really hear from God. And that is because there was a person who was supposed to do that, and he's not doing it. Right. I do like in this and many other stories throughout Scripture, the relationship of mentor and mentee and the way that discernment and finding vocation or finding your calling from God comes in community um, and is reiterated and echoed in your community of, yes, of course you were meant to do this because God has called you for such a time as this, right? If we go to Esther, we've got more, you know, we've got, we've got people that, that listen to their mentors. So I think that that's also an important part of finding what you're passionate about, right? Um, Is soundboarding against the people who you trust, who are your mentors, who are following God's footsteps, who can lead you and guide you and say, yes, you are good at this. And also I think you have a calling for this, right? I feel like God has put an anointing on you for this. Um, You know, and I think that it, and that happens here too, but it's not always the way we tell it. Right. We talk about like God talks to Samuel and Samuel says, here I am. But even with God talking directly to Samuel, he's still confused. Some of that is because Eli hasn't been doing his job as prophet. But some of that is, you know, but it's also the only real it is the realistic part of this of God is calling him. He doesn't fully understand it. He doesn't. You know, he keeps going. You know, it's the comedy of this, right? Goes to his mentor. Goes to his mentor. Why are you calling me? Right. Why are you calling me? Why are you calling me? And then, yeah. you know, it twigs for Eli that something else is happening, and he prepares Samuel for it. Th- that it, that part, you're right. It's a hundred percent realistic. Of, <laughs> and that you know, and Esther, you know, I, I close the piece with Esther and Mordecai. Esther and Mordecai is the same thing. That mm-hmm. it is, you know, she has this family structure that comes around her and saying, hey, maybe it's not an accident that you are here in the, you know, cat palace able to make a difference, huh? Uh, so right. what are you doing? It's so weird, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you, I think that is that, that piece that if we can look at this and go, it's not going to be, not necessarily going to be an audible voice. You're going to have to piece together data points but one of these data points is going to be the people in your life. Yes. And that Christian, this is, you know, I did this in the sermon. This is the Christian community piece too, of all of the reasons that we think about why are we called to be in community? That we can emotionally support one another, that we can hold one another accountable, right? That yes. you're not always going to be a reliable voice to tell yourself you're doing something wrong. It might need to be that other person. But also, you're not always going to be able to interpret, even when it is the directly the voice of God talking to you, that this is the voice of God talking to you and that this is a thing you should be doing. Right. So an argument for not skipping gathering together on Sunday mornings and other times. You should not try to just worship God on a mountaintop by yourself. You can, but then come back from the mountaintop to your community and talk about what you heard and what you saw and what you felt and hear from them what it is that God is telling you as well. 
that we we fundamentally we see this play out time and time again in scripture of yeah it is in community that these things happen right you know we Mm -hmm. bring this up every time but like jesus even jesus surrounds himself with people right as a mod if anyone could have just like set off on his own it's literal jesus but even he (laughs) surrounds himself with friends with colleagues with brothers and sisters with travel companions because this is some of be some of being not just being human but some of the way god intends us to live is in community and Mm -hmm. calling and vocation ends up being a part of that right when we think about theologies of ordination even right um, very, they probably exist, but very few denominations. I not every denomination has our glorious system, right? The, the, our glorious the, system. That is our a glorious great way system. To see it. Um, of 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 it's just years of a lot and of checks and balances. A lot of checks a and balances, lot of right? Checks and balances, but right. but why those checks and balances exist is for the is in some ways for the same reasons that a lot of ordination exists. That it is. Not just you have a feeling, but the community confirms that feeling. Yes. That the community hears and sees it in you, right? Um, A lot of, you know, you think about one of the standards by which biblical prophets are judged is... Does the, does the, the, uh, you know, nation, does the people see... The things that they are talking about playing out, that there is that sense of community response, that it is, mm-hmm. I think this thing, the community sees it in me, this is the thing. And again, you know, it's very easy right. for us to fall back on thoughts of ordination and profits and whatever, because this is just the end of the pool we live in. But it is having those loving Christian mentoring relationships that when you say, I want to be an accountant, they're going to go, you're terrible at math. Have you thought about whatever? Or no, that makes total sense. You've got that eye for detail. And, uh, you know, Lord knows the world needs more ethical fill in the blanks. Accountants as, right. you know, whatever. I don't know why I pick accountants, on accountants. lawyers, doctors, judges, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Business people, you know, even entrepreneur, right? Like someone's got to make the money to make the rest of this possible and there are ethical ways to make money and unethical ways to make money and whatever but you know we need the funders we need the math people we need christian scientists we need all of it right um but there is there is yeah that community piece of have the people in your life that can help you see that because even even samuel needed that and that is kind of the core like action of this story yes absolutely so lean on your community (laughs) lean on your community and when you have a calling do it (laughs) right like (laughs) step up to the plate (laughs) step up to the plate it's it's a lot of baseball right pitcher's mound yeah or whatever yeah like do the thing and because we want, and, and, and I had this, you know, one of those things that I directly say is we don't live in an expectations-free universe, right? Th- to separate the difference between grace and 
no expectations. That God's grace means God's always going to love us. But also, God has a task for us. As Mordecai puts it, it's going to happen one way or another. The opportunity is you get to be a part of it. And it's not, you know, the all of God's universe doesn't rest on you. God's a far better planner than that. But thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness, right? The, the weight of the world just is not, it is not, it is, it is about you, but it's not about, but it's not just about you. It's about right. us. It's about the, you know, the body of Christ. And right. God is not fault tolerant to one, right? Because it's bad planning. Um, that is, a, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the human race. But God's grace does not mean you can just, that, that, that there are no expectations, that God just, oh, you can just do whatever and it's all going to be fine. You can do whatever and God's always going to love you. You can succeed at your calling, you can fail at your calling, you can miss, whatever. All of those things are true and God's not going to stop loving you. At right. the same time, if we you have miss this op- it, there will be a Samuel coming up behind right. you to do it. Right. Like we have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And God really does expect us to be a part of that. Again, we don't, you know, I don't, you never want to take the grace out of this, but the, you have a tremendous opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the world. We should seize that opportunity. We should be excited mm-hmm. about that opportunity, but we should seize that opportunity and run with it and, you know, again, be a part of God's, you know, this great adventure of the salvation and transformation of the world. And therein lies the fulfillment that our generation is looking for in our vocation, yeah. in our work, right? That's yeah. where the blessing comes. That's yeah. where the fulfillment comes. Uh-huh. And that is as good a place as any uh, to bring uh, this in for uh, landing. Thank you so much for joining us um, on this episode of The Goodness of God. Uh, if you have a feedback for us or want to share the stories of your own calling, even if it does match uh, the story in Samuel, uh, email us, thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. If you want more of what we do here in the Media Lab, it is Servants Now. On everything, uh, it's very cold in the media. There's a space heater uh, to uh, to stage right. Uh, follow us on all the things um, at Servants Now on uh, TikTok, Instagram, um, YouTube, uh, YouTube.com/slash Servants Now, Facebook.com/slash Servants Now, ServantsNow.org on the internet. Uh, this show um, and everything else we do is made possible uh, by a generous innovators grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you want to support what we're doing, uh, share it. Uh, like it. Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. Even if you don't subscribe via Apple Podcast, uh, leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. All of that stuff helps what we do uh, reach more people and be more sustainable. And also, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time.